Good morning. For you that may not know, my name is David Blackburn. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful summer day. We thank you for your creation and the beauty of it that we see all around us. Lord, we're grateful that we can come into this place to worship you, sing songs, to lift our voice, to see other brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, now as we come to the preaching of your word, we just pray that our ears and our hearts would be open to receive. Lord, I pray you'd use uh, my humble lips and anoint me today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you're a golfer, you probably remember the story. On October 25th, 1999, a Learjet took off from Orlando, Florida airport to fly to Dallas, Texas. But after crossing over Gainesville, Florida, it began to veer off course. Repeated attempts to contact the pilots of the jet were met with silence. Military planes were sent to chase the plane down and to try to make visual contact. Two F-16s were able to pull within 50 feet of the Learjet. And those pilots radioed that they were unable to see inside the cabin because the windows were iced over. This was clear evidence that the plane had lost cabin pressure, and those inside were certainly unconscious, if not dead. The Learjet was on autopilot, and it flew for nearly four hours and traveled some 1,400 miles before it finally ran out of fuel and fell out of the sky and crashed in a field outside of Mina, South Dakota. All six people on board were killed, the most famous being professional golfer Payne Stewart, who just four months earlier had won the U.S. Open golf tournament. The coroner's ruling stated that the six people on board had died of hypoxia and not as a result of the crash. And this incident remains to this day a bizarre and tragic event. And I tell you this story because I want you to imagine for just a moment, you're standing on the ground that day, and you look up into the sky and you see this plane. For all you can tell from your vantage point, it's on course and headed for its destination. But little do you know, inside that plane, something is desperately wrong. I think that becomes a poignant word picture for some Christians' lives this morning. There are people in churches all across America today who live life at jet speed. And as far as anyone can tell, it looks like they're on course. Outwardly, they seem to have life all together. 
but inside there's a crisis. Something is wrong, and things aren't as they appear. I suspect most people in this room know what I'm talking about. All of us have that sense at times that even though we project an image of having it all together, we know that inside all is not well. Not at all. If we believed that people could really see inside of us and observe our thoughts, it would frighten us. I believe the majority of us would be little more than embarrassed if some of our thoughts got projected up on these screens. We're in a series called Life. And today I want to talk about our thought life. We all have a thought life. It's the most powerful and the most private arena of our lives. Ralph Waldo Emerson put it this way. He said, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. It's not an overstatement to say that our thought life can quite literally shape our destiny. You've probably heard the saying, you are what you eat. Heard that? We could also say, you are what you think. Our thought life is a reflection of who we are. Our words and our actions and our outward expressions are windows to our thoughts and character. At the very core of who we are is our thought life. As water reflects your face, so your mind shows, read it with me, what kind of person you are. Not only am I what I think, I do what I think. My thoughts govern my actions. You know, most of us have met someone or, or we know someone who's tragically fallen into an affair. And it's ended up destroying their marriage. And their friends and family are distraught and they're shocked. And they ask the question, how did it happen? And if you could trace the sequence of choices and the decisions that led to this tragedy, you would find that it started with inappropriate thoughts, weeks, months, maybe even years earlier. The Casting Crown song that the band just played is called Slow Fade. Here's a line in the song that I believe is prophetic as to what will happen to people if they don't control their thought life. 
The line says, thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid. Never forget, my friends, that a price will be paid when our thought life leads us to make choices that don't honor God and His Word. Whenever there's a plane crash, what is one of the first things investigators look for? Anybody know? After survivors, right. The black box, yeah, that's it. And by the way, what color is the black box? Pink. (laughs) Too much breast cancer awareness going on there. (laughs) It's orange. Crash investigators hope that by finding the black box, they can get some clues from the data in that black box as to what was happening inside the plane that caused the crash. Now, if there was a black box for human lives that have crashed, we would find on that black box a record of their thoughts that drove their actions. Scripture confirms that our thoughts govern our actions. From Proverbs we read, Be careful what you think, because your thoughts run your life. We could say it like this. My thoughts are like train tracks, and my actions are like the locomotive. You can be sure that your actions will follow the tracks that you lay down in your thought life. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I want to encourage you this morning to dedicate your mind and your thought life for the purposes of God. We must make a conscious decision to do this because the enemy of our soul will try to capture our minds and our thought life. You see, in the spiritual realm, there's a battle going on. The Bible declares that just as certainly is there, that there is a holy and righteous God, there's also a being who is evil personified. He's called the devil in the Bible. He's called the tempter. He's called the wicked one. But his personal name, Satan, means adversary. His name tells us Satan's basic nature. He's the enemy and the adversary of God. And of all that God does and all that God loves, including you and me, because God does love you. And God does love me. God created our minds as a place where we could meet with Him and fellowship with Him in our thoughts. But our thought lives are under attack by Satan. And therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that our minds are spiritual battlefields. 
Every day, our minds are bombarded by TV commercials, by music, by print media. And all of these messages are out to capture our minds and our thoughts. In fact, the group called Media Dynamics has estimated that the average American adult is exposed to about 600 advertisements in various forms each day. Advertisers are so convinced of the power of the media that this year, 2015, the average 30-second commercial during the Super Bowl cost $4.5 million. Big money for a big prize. Your mind, my mind, your thoughts, my thoughts. Forbes magazine came up with a list of the most famous taglines in commercials. We're going to do a little experiment this morning to show you the power of advertising. I'm going to give you the tagline for just 10 of those on the Forbes list. And you see if you know the company or the organization behind the tagline. Y'all ready? Are you ready? This is the fun part of the message. Don't leave home without it. And keep your own personal, honest, keep your score, okay? Up here in your thought life. Don't leave home without it, American Express. Where's the beef? Be all you can be. U.S. Army. When you care enough to send the very best. Walmart? Oh, Hallmark. Okay. Can you hear me now? You know that one? I didn't hear it. Can you hear me now? Very good. Like a rock. Chevy trucks. Just do it. This one you may stumble. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Right here. United Negro College Fund. Last two. Ultimate driving machine. You got to drive a BMW to know that. Okay, Tom. Okay. Here we go. You got to get this one. You deserve a break today. How'd you do? Who got at least eight out of ten? Very good. Your mind is being controlled. You're under the spell. Okay, your mind and thoughts aren't only a target for advertisers, they're also a target in the spiritual battle. The stakes are much higher in that battle than the kind of car you're going to drive or the kind of soft drink you're going to drink. The implications of this spiritual battle are eternal. This is a bold statement I'm going to make, but one that I believe is true. 
whether it's me or you. Whether or not we live a life that brings glory to God will largely be determined by our thought life. Hold that screen, I'm going to say it one more time. Whether or not we live a life that brings glory to God will largely be determined by our thought life. Paul writes this. We live in this world, but we don't fight our battles in the same way the world does. The weapons we use are not human ones. Our weapons have power from God and can destroy the enemy's strong places. We destroy people's arguments and we tear down every proud idea that raises itself against the knowledge of God. Now, this line here. We also capture every, what is it? Thought. And make it what? Give up and obey Christ. We need to understand that some of the greatest battles we'll face in this life are fought in our minds as we try to capture our thought life to obey Christ and bring glory and honor to Him and His cause. For some of us, it's not just the thoughts that we're going to think today or or thoughts that we're going to think tomorrow, but it's the thoughts that haunt us from our past. Some in here push the rewind button in their mind and they go back and they relive experiences and situations that happened years ago but still have an impact on them today. And God didn't intend for any of us to live in bondage to our past. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be free and forgiven. Maybe you're here today and and you've tried a whole lot of things to be set free from the pain of your past. And I'm going to take a moment right now, very unorthodox, we don't do this, but I just want to take a moment. With the mind that you have, the mind that God has given you, And I want us to ask God to heal us, heal our past, and help us to let go of the thoughts that trouble us. Let's do it right now. Let's just take a few moments, bowing our head, and those that this is a a tough place, a tough thing in your life, just ask God with the mind he's given you to set you free to begin that process today. Lord, set us free, Lord God. Set us free. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, maybe someone's thinking, okay, so what, Pastor David? Well, what? You know, I understand my thought life is a spiritual battlefield because I live with my thoughts, and they defeat me, and they beat me up every day. So how do I overcome what I'm facing when I feel helpless and I feel powerless to change. Paul gives us hope in this verse, two verses. He says, Dear friends, 
God is good. Can someone say amen? So I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. That's the most sensible way to serve God. Don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. Notice what Paul didn't say. He didn't say you'll be changed by joining the church. He didn't say you'll be changed by serving in a ministry. He didn't say you'll be changed by giving in tithes and offerings. These are all good things. Don't go out of here saying I said they weren't. Good things that we ought to do. But Paul didn't mention them here in Romans 12. Paul says change comes with letting God change the way you think. In verse 1 here, Paul's talking about our bodies and says we offer our bodies to God as an act of worship. My body is the means by which I interact with the world around me. It's my body that lives out the bad habits and the sinful thoughts that come into my mind. Paul says in verse 2 that the only way to change the way my body lives is to change my mind, the thing that controls my body. I must let God, by way of the Holy Spirit, reprogram how I think. Willpower alone is never going to be sufficient for us to deal with the ingrained habits of our old sinful nature. Your mind, my mind. They have to be totally reprogrammed to think in a new and different way. You and I are incapable of transforming our thought lives all by ourselves. What we can do, though, is take some steps and get ourselves in the position where God can do the work that he wants to do in us. Scripture gives us four action steps that will help us. Number one, guard what you put into your mind. The Apostle John writes this, Don't love the world. Or anything that belongs to the world? If you love the world, you cannot love the Father. The Bible is saying here that the world, the world system, is out to capture your thought life and your attention and your affection. 600 commercials every day we're being bombarded with. John's implying that you and I need to guard our thoughts and our hearts. And keep our minds completely devoted to God. We allow tremendous pain to enter our lives by simply being careless about what we put into our minds. What we put into our hearts and our minds will eventually work out themselves into our lives through our thoughts and actions. It's a guarantee. Remember the words of the song. Thoughts 
invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid. It may not be paid today, but my friends, it will be paid sometime in your life. And if not in this life, it will be paid in eternity. You know, you, know, you may think that in a message like this, that, that I should give you a list of all the things you shouldn't put into your mind. And I'm not going to do that. Because I believe that you and the Holy Spirit are capable of discerning what is spiritually healthy or unhealthy to put into your mind. But I want to provide you with a principle that can help us, that can guide us. I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is talking about adultery. And he says, adultery isn't merely the matter of the physical act. Adultery is also about the mind. Jesus says, when a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery in his heart. And in the very next verse, Jesus makes a a radical and bizarre statement. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, take it out and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than to have your whole body thrown into hell. Come on, Jesus, you know, that's a little bit hard. You think so? That is, isn't it? you got to be kidding here, Jesus. You can't be serious about this, plucking out our eyes and cutting off body parts. But here's the take on that verse. I think Jesus uses a very severe statement to make a very serious point. He's serious about the issue of sin. And what he's teaching us is this. Whatever drastic measure you and I have to take to avoid sin must be taken. We're not playing games here. In other words, if something you're watching or listening to is causing you to sin, then get rid of it and stop doing it. It'd be much better to throw away your computer than to destroy your life with internet pornography. It would be better to cut off some relationships that are asking you to put aside some of your Christian convictions. It might mean, yes, that you have fewer friends, but it will mean, I guarantee you, your relationship with Christ will grow stronger. Drastic means must be taken by all of us to help us guard what we put into our minds. The second action step is this. Fill your mind with those things which God can use to renew your mind and change your thoughts. You're guarding your mind. Some things aren't going to come in, but you've got to then fill your mind with some other things. This is what Paul writes under under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, finally, my friends, fill your mind, keep your mind, excuse me, on whatever is true, pure, right, 
holy, friendly, and proper. Don't ever stop thinking about what is truly worthwhile and worthy of praise. Many believe that Paul is writing about meditating on these things that are listed here. Christian meditation is sustained attention and thought while thinking about God and internalizing the truth about Him found in the Bible. The goal is for you not just to fill your head with information while you're alive so you can pass the exam when you get to heaven. You didn't know there was an exam, right? Some of you look surprised. Now, I don't remember reading that in the book of Revelation about an entrance exam into heaven. No one told you about that entrance exam? No one? Okay. Well, you're right. There is no entrance exam. But in this life, there is an exam. There's one question on that exam, and here it is. Even my slide, a couple more. One question on the exam. Back up one. There you go. Here it is. Did you accept or reject the truth claims of Jesus Christ as you lived your life? Everyone in this room can say a yes or no to that one simple question. Did you accept or reject Jesus and his truth while you walked on the earth. Nothing will take us down the road of transforming our minds like developing spiritual habits of Bible reading, Christian meditation, and prayer so that our thought lives can be changed by filling our minds with good things that God can use to renew them. The third action step is win the battle in the moment. Here's what I mean by in the moment. Let's say you had the remote control. Ladies, I know you never get it because your husband always has the remote control. But just by chance, you ladies can fit yourself in this illustration. You've got the remote control at home. You're flipping through channels one evening, and you land on that program where people are doing and saying things that would make you very uncomfortable if Jesus was sitting on the lazy boy along with you. In that moment, you get to decide whether or not you're going to cross the line and you're going to allow your mind to go to a place where you know is spiritually unhealthy for you. You get to decide. I don't decide for you. You don't decide for me. You get to decide. Don't ever minimize the impact of that moment. In Genesis, there's a sad story about the first two brothers and how Cain despised and he hated his brother Abel and he eventually killed him. 
And God is warning Cain about his proposed plan and what he's going to do to his brother Abel. And God says this to, to Cain. He says, you know that if you do what is right, I will accept you. But if you don't, what's the next? Sin is ready to what? Attack you. That sin will want to control you, but you must control it. Don't forget, the temptation, or excuse me, the thought of temptation, as it first comes to our minds, is not a sin. To be tempted and to have the thought of temptation, that is not a sin. It only becomes a sin when we cross the line and we act on that thought. And I have this mental picture of, of sin sort of crouching, ready to attack like a tiger. It's waiting to see in that moment of temptation whether or not we're going to cross the line into something that's spiritually unhealthy for us. And the battle is won or lost for all of us in that moment. That's where it's won. That's where it's lost. The fourth action step is ask for help. Find a fellow believer and honestly share. Just be real. Be up front and, and just say, you know, I don't have it all together and I'm struggling in this area in my life and I need some help. Men should find another man who's following Christ. Women should find another woman who is following Christ. Be honest, be real, and allow God to use someone to help you. Maybe they're in your life group with you. Or maybe they serve with you in one of the ministries here at the church. Find someone. Ask them to hold you accountable. This was important 2,000 years ago to first century Christians. And I believe it should be equally important to us as Christ's followers in the 21st century. Paul writes, that's why you must encourage and help each other, just as you are already doing. We need each other. We need to help each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to hold each other accountable. Not kick each other when we're down and have fallen into sin. Let me give you those four action steps again. Number one, guard what you put into your mind. You've got to be diligent about that. Number two, fill your mind with things that God can use to help renew your mind and to change your thought life. Number three, win the battle in the moment. That's where you win it. Number four, ask for help. Our thought life will either make or break us when it comes to having a victorious walk with Christ. It's a spiritual battle. There's no other way around it. We don't like to talk about spiritual battle and Satan and all this stuff, but friends, we're right in the middle of it. And you can play ostrich if you want. That's not going to protect you. And we must be prepared to fight the spiritual battle. And 
Not only fight, but win with God's help. Every day of our lives, the devil never takes a vacation. It's interesting that in the description of the believer's armor, Paul says this to us. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God is telling us that if you and I want to protect our minds and our thought lives, we need to not only take the helmet of salvation, we need to become born again. You can't protect your thought life if you're not a Christian. It just goes every which direction. There's no safeguards. Not only the helmet of salvation, but we must use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible. So how do we swing the sword effectively against Satan? By letting the Bible change the way we think as we embrace the truth that's found there, which ultimately is going to change the way we act, which will help us reap a Christ-like character and be assured of a God-honoring destiny both in this life and in the life to come. Serious business. But God has not left us defenseless. We have the Word of God. We have salvation. It's a battle we're all going to fight. We're all fighting. The band's going to come back. We're going to play a song. There are going to be prayer teams on either side of the front here. You may want prayer. Maybe you want to be struggling in your thought life. Maybe you've got a need in your family. Maybe you have a friend that needs prayer. We believe in the power of prayer in this church. And I invite you to come. Just as we talked about we need to encourage each other, we encourage each other through prayer. So I invite you to come in just a moment if you need prayer and seek the Lord's help for your situation. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you have not left us defenseless in this spiritual battle of our thought life. Lord, many of us in this place either are struggling today or have struggled in the past or, Lord, will struggle in the future when it comes to our thought life. We ask that you would help us and empower us by your Holy Spirit to take these four simple action steps and apply them to our lives. Lord, you want to set us free. You want us to live victorious for you. And we can't do that when we're in bondage to poor thinking. So set us free today, we pray, in your precious name. And all God's people said, Amen.